Advent is a season of preparation and anticipation. Our readings in our worship time together remind us of that focus, that we are to prepare for the coming of Christ again, because Christ has come before. It is something that we can anticipate. I expect that you in your own life, like me, have some things that you are eager to prepare for, that you joyfully anticipate. And there are some things that you do not get excited to get ready to happen. Hearing the lessons for today, we might feel a little conflicted. Here the prophet Malachi is speaking to God's chosen people who are in exile. They have been among other tribes of people. They have intermarried with them, taken on some of the customs of those various groups of people. And they are about to prepare to come back into their homeland, and Malachi tells them they better get ready. That they need to be aware that God is in God's kingdom, and they need to prepare to receive what God has to give them. By its description, a refiner's fire and fuller's soap, it doesn't sound very exciting, that thing of preparation. I have very little, if maybe any, relationship with a refiner's fire or fuller's soap, but I know both of them to be pretty intense and somewhat painful if you come into direct contact with either one of them. Also, the prophet John, who we read about in the gospel lesson this morning, is telling people to prepare, to prepare for the coming one, the one who is to come, the one who he is even unworthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. Get ready, John says, and to do so, repent. So we might feel a little conflicted about anticipation and preparation of the coming Christ. When we hear of what Christ's coming will mean for us, a new kingdom filled with the reign of God, one which all that have need have their needs met, one that is filled with peace and with joy and with hope, we say, oh, I want that. But how is it that we prepare? How do we prepare for the coming Christ? Indeed, preparation can be a difficult thing. When we hear of God coming in judgment to judge the living and the dead, we wonder if we're prepared for such a thing. We might go through our list of things that we have done that God would find favorable, and that is consoling to us. And then beside that is also all the things we haven't done that God wished we would have done. Or perhaps the things we did do that we ourselves wished that we hadn't done, knowing that it would not find favor in God's sight. And we think, in coming before that judgment seat, what will happen to each of us? You know, I believe that God is not obligated to us in any way. God doesn't owe us anything. And so when we consider coming before that judgment seat, we don't have that card to play. God doesn't owe us anything. Before I felt confident in telling you that, I went to look in the scriptures, hard-pressed to see if there was an example in which God indicates that God owes us, God's creation, something. 
There are only two illustrations that came to my mind, one from the First Testament and the other from the New. The First Testament story is the story of Noah, when God wipes out all of creation. And after the waters have rescinded, God promises to never do that again. He makes a rainbow in the sky as a covenant with creation that he will never wipe out creation again. God obligates God's self to us. God obligates God's self to us in love. The second example that I could think of comes from the gospel story of the Canaanite woman who follows Jesus after he has had a long day of being around the Sea of Galilee, teaching and healing. And she cries after him because she wants healing for her daughter. Now she is a Canaanite woman. She is not one of the people that God, that Jesus has come to speak with. She's not one of God's chosen people. And so in her crying out, Jesus says to her, No, I will not heal your daughter. But he says it with a metaphor that is biting. He says, You do not give the children's food to the dogs. And she responds and says, Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus heals her daughter. He obligates himself to her in love. So when we think about Christ coming again to establish a reign, when we think about the judgment that we will all inevitably fall under, we have to remember that God doesn't owe us anything. But God does obligate God's self to us out of God's love for us. The prophets want us to remember this, that God obligates God's self to us out of God's love for us. And we are called to consider how that affects our very lives, our decisions, and our actions. When I haven't known what to do, I have gone to a question that was given to me by my spiritual director some years ago. The question is this. What is love asking for in this situation? What does love want to do here? I have found that question so helpful because there can be many options of actions in response to an action given to us. And indeed, we might feel justified in any number of them. I think it would only take a few minutes for us to each consider our past week and remember something that was done to us and our thoughts, what should I do in response? In the hustle and bustle of such this season, people do things to one another, sometimes that are cruel, sometimes that are hurtful. And so we then have to think, how am I going to respond to that given situation? We may feel justified in retaliating in some way. Seems that the world operates on that kind of mentality. We seem to always be aware of what the other person owes us. And so we sometimes like to claim that. You owe me, we say. You owe me respect. You owe me decency. Not to mention, you owe me what maybe you've borrowed from me or what I've given to you. 
So we're called all the time to consider, how is it that we respond as Christian people? And in this season of preparation, we are given the question, what does love ask of you? How does love want to work in this time? I found myself coming into an intimate relationship with that question when I worked for a particular manager, and he was a difficult individual. I had heard that about him. And there have been people that would tell stories. When I went into that environment, I didn't fool myself to think I would be the exception. But I did have some hope, because from my past experiences, I had found that if I modeled the behavior that I wanted to see, it often came back to me. And I was pretty good and consistent about modeling that behavior. So I had some hope that in modeling that behavior, it would come back to me. But you know what? It didn't. It didn't. And I came face to face with the fact that I wasn't being rewarded, if you will, for my good actions by the actions of the other. And I had to consider what was I going to do? The reward wasn't going to come back to me. I became very close to that question, what is love asking for? How would love have me respond in this situation? I would like to say that it got better, but it didn't. But what did happen was in me, a liberation and a freedom to love. No longer was my love bound by its reciprocation. No longer did I need the response from the other in order to generate it again. I found that in Christ, the love was free. I was liberated to love in that situation. I was rooted and grounded in love so that the love was mine for the giving. It was not bound up in the relationship with another. Now, I will tell you, this was hard work, and I didn't embark on it on my own. I had people that helped me stay true to what I felt God was calling me to. Counselors, people who helped me with my own physical health so that I could be equipped to offer love in the face of a difficult situation. Undeniably, it was painful, and it was hard, but it felt refining, because now the love that I have to give is mine for the giving. I am free to love, even without having it reciprocated. This is what we are called to think of in this season of preparation. God obligates God's self to us because God wants to. Out of God's love, God comes into our midst, into the real world. You heard the list of the emperors and who was in charge at the beginning of our gospel. This is a specific time in history. God comes into our lives here and now, into the real fabric of the day in and day out of being human. Because God wants to. God obligates God's self to us out of God's love for God's creation. And we are to prepare a place for that. We are to open ourselves up to what it means to be in a kingdom of love. How is it that we too can practice giving love freely? 
Because when we learn from our teacher, from our Savior, how to do this, we begin to see that love is transformational. It is liberating. It is empowering. It brings a peace that passes understanding. It brings a joy that is deeply rooted. And it brings a hope for a new way of being. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.